Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's funny living in Ohio where one week we're freezing and the next week we're wondering if we need to turn the air conditioning on. But that's just what Ohio is like in the springtime. So as we gather together in the presence of the Lord today, we are reminded um, that we are like little children before the Lord. We've, we've grown up, we can do a few things, right? Uh, we can fix our cars or drive our cars, we can shoot our guns, you know, Tony can build a whole brick building or whatever, but the, the deal is, is that we are children before the Lord. Even though we can do some things, we need to be reminded that before the Lord, His ways are above our ways, His thoughts are above our thoughts, they're past finding out. And we need to be people that rely on hearing the voice of God and knowing the word of God for our direction. Amen. David said it this way in Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and thou hast known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising and thou understands my thoughts afar off. Thou can pass my path, my lying down, art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue, but Lord, you knew it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend in the heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there too. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shines as the day and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Nowhere is dark to God. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written." which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, and how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee, and surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take the, thy name in vain." Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate you? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred, and I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me. Everybody say, lead me, O Lord. Lead me in the way that is everlasting. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, that we are your children, Lord, and that you do lead us. 
Lord, that you draw us near to you, Lord, and that when it is dark for us, it is not dark for you, Lord. It, the light and the dark are the same for you. Lord, when we don't know something, you know all things, Lord. When we are bound by time, you are ahead of us in the future and behind us in the past. Lord, you are magnificent and mighty and your ways are so far above us that we cannot even comprehend them. They are too wonderful for us. Today, as we gather in your presence, we long for you to speak your words to us, to change us, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to make us glorify you in our works. Help us, O Lord Jesus, to be more like we will be in eternity. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said... Standing briefly, my text is Psalm 131. It's only three verses long. And um, I'm going to preach the whole psalm today. My sermon today is called Baby Steps. And if you can handle looking at a little cute baby up here on the slide today, um, I want you to picture that as being you. That's really who, what we really are. We like to think of ourselves as big stuff, but really we're just little ones who belong to the Lord. Psalm 131, beginning at the very beginning, at the inspired heading, a song of ascents of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me, surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us and in spite of the fact that we oftentimes view ourselves in ways that really aren't accurate. You still love us. Lord, help us today for our hearts to align with the reality that is your word and your truth. Help us, Lord, to not lean on our understanding and to see ourselves wise in our own eyes, but help us today to be humble before you for we know that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. David, Israel's giant killer who slew the monster man Goliath in the valley of Elah and did many great military exploits in his life was a man of great courage. Everybody say, David was a man of courage. David, the dancer who praised God with all of his might, and he didn't worry what others thought about him and what he had offered to the Lord. He was uninhibited before his maker in worship. Everybody say, David was a worshiper. 
David, the prophet and songwriter, was skilled in the playing and the writing of music beyond what most have ever achieved. He was, uh, he was something else. He was extraordinary. Everybody say, David was extraordinary. Now, he was all of these things, but what really made him, what defined his life in such a way that both God and man said that David was a man after God's own heart. If people were going to describe your life uh, in one sentence, wouldn't this be the most wonderful thing that could be said about you, if it were true? How many would want that, right? I surely would love for God to say that about me. To be a man or woman after God's own heart should be our ultimate aim. And it seems to me we should have no other ambition before this one. It's like when we raise our children, you know, uh, we, we say, well, we want them to be smart and we want them to be successful. We want them to be, what, but what's, what's the number one aim we want for our kids? We want our children to love the Lord, right? I mean, if, you, if, if your kid did not, succeed in the ways of the world, but you're like, but you know what? They love God with all of their heart and they love the people of God. What, isn't that what we would want? Could you imagine, Christina, that it was said of you that you raised children whose hearts were after God? But what does it truly mean that David was a man after God's own heart? It doesn't really say this about anybody else in the scriptures. That's not to say that it's not true of them, but he was the only one, it is said, that he was this. And what would it mean for you to be that? The statement, a man after God's own heart, comes from the sad story that you just heard in the book of 1 Samuel. It's a sad story of Israel's first king, King Saul. He was handsome and strong and he was from the best family. He was head and shoulders above Israel in his height. He though had a fatal flaw in his character, he was innovative and smart, and he would often try to improve on what God had told him to do. Everybody say, God does not need our help. God does not need you to, do, to make his ideas better than his ideas. Saul would mostly obey God, but then he would add in his own little flourish to God's commands, in his mind improving on what God had said. When God rejected Saul from continuing to be king of Israel, we read here in 1 Samuel 13 why God did this and what he was looking for in a replacement. 1 Samuel 13, 14, he ultimately says it again and does it again in 1 Samuel 15, which we heard, but this was a pattern for Saul. And it was back in 1 Samuel 13 where God says this in verse 14, now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord had commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord had commanded thee. God is the God of second chances, sometimes third chances. But if it is your way to improve on what God has said or to do your own thing, apparently there are not 
a lot of extra chances here. In the Hebrew, the phrase after his own heart means a man whose heart of hearts or the very depth or core of his being is the pursuit of God's will. We see the opposite of this set of Saul in the final words of the verse when he says to Saul, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee, this is why God is rejecting you. I mean, we're going to get to this in a minute. David did a lot of bad things. In fact, he did a list of things that are so bad and so long that you would have thought at some point in time, God was going to say, I reject you. But he doesn't say that of David. He says it of Saul. What did Saul do that was so bad? It was that God said, I want you to go over here and do this thing. And he's like, mm, I don't think I'm going to do that. In the New Testament, as Paul preached at Antioch in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, he's recounting this very same story. The rejection of Saul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. When he had removed Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave the testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Last phrase here, which shall fulfill all my will. If you remember, it was said of Samuel that what made Samuel such a great prophet is that none of the words that God gave him ever fell to the ground. That means that whatever he told Samuel to say, he always said it. Whatever he told Samuel to do, he always did it. Did that mean along the way he was perfect or that he raised great children or that he never sinned or never lusted or he never drank too much or he didn't do whatever he didn't do? No, what made Samuel the great prophet is that when God gave him his word, he, he communicated that he did the job that he was given to do and he didn't take away from it and he didn't add to it. So we see plainly what it means to be a man whose heart of hearts pursues God. This kind of person is someone who at their very core wants to do exactly what God has said, no more and no less. I remember as a child, every time I would listen to a sermon, when there was something in the message that convicted me of my behavior, I remember I, could, I was just kind of like uh, eager to get home so I could begin doing this thing or fixing this thing or if there was something wrong between me and someone in the building, I could almost not even stand it. I'm like, I had to like go across the church to the person and make it right. Why? Because I was, I was seeing that God wanted me to do this and I wanted to do it. When we say God sees our heart, this is what we are hoping God sees. Not, not what we think. See, when people use this expression about God seeing our heart, folks... What we think it means, you know, it's not really what it means. We often quote the scripture, right? Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart, right? How many of you have ever said this? Usually it's because someone looks kind of rough or looks like they're bad. or like, hey, hey, man looks on the outward, but where does God look? He looks on the heart. What, what do we mean by that, though? What is it that God is, what, what is it that you want God to see in your heart? 
from the story of David and Saul is where these exact words come from, right? Samuel is looking over all of Jesse's sons, thinking they look like good choices. And what does God say to the prophet here? He said, look not at his countenance. Don't look at the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Everybody say, God's looking at my heart. We think this means, though, that God sees our intentions to do good and he overlooks our bad actions and outcomes. But this is not what it means. I mean, if you could look at the heart of if you could look at the situation in the very beginning when Cain and Abel and all that trouble that started with them, Cain is only offering vegetables. Why? Because he was a farmer and he was growing vegetables. He didn't refuse to give any vegetables to God that he had grown, he refused to do what? What God had specifically told him to do. He had a better idea. You know, uh, my brother Abel, he, he raises animals and I, it makes sense that he's going to offer animals, but I raise vegetables. I'm going to offer God vegetables. But what did God want, guys? God wanted animals. To be a man whose heart of hearts is after God is to be someone who wants with all of your heart to follow God's direction as particularly as you can. This can be borne out in David's life again and again and answers the question how it was that David sinned again and again, arguably much worse than Saul in the way that we look at things. He murdered, he committed adultery, he numbered Israel, he lied, he stole, and he did more. But yet God did not reject him from being king because God could see his heart. What did he see? That's what we're talking about today. He saw at the core of his heart, yes, that he was flawed, that he was a sinner, that he messed up, that he behaved impetuously, that he uh, was a failure morally often. But at his heart, David wanted to obey God. He did not think his ideas were better than God's. He did not intentionally try to improve on and defy God's clear instructions. We have so much writing about and by David that we can look into his heart of hearts and we can see these things. In Psalm 19, David says the law of the Lord is perfect in verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It is what makes wise the simple, not experience, not intelligence. We, we, uh, we laud intelligence like it's the greatest thing in the world. I think it's kind of funny, especially in the world of reform people. You get somebody with a super high IQ. We get somebody who, you know, can write a million books and they're so intellectual. Everyone is like, wow. They're just like, wow, you know, but it's the law of the Lord. That's perfect. It is the testimony of the Lord that is sure that makes wise the simple. It's the statutes of the Lord that are right. Rejoicing the heart. It's the commandments of the Lord that are pure, enlightening the eyes. Right? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. David said this. He said, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You might think, well, I'm learning a lot and good things are happening in my life and all this stuff is going on. But the deal is this. Memorizing scripture, knowing scripture, reading it and finding out what God requires of you. There is no better pursuit of your life and your time than that. 
If I were going to tell my wife, the number one priority that I have in educating our children is that they know God's word. Moreover, by them is thy servant word, and in keeping them is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. And there's something I discovered here I just really want to share with you that I have really missed. And I've taught on this before. But this is kind of new for me. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Everybody say presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Everybody say the great transgression. You ever think of what in the world that means? What is the great transgression? I don't want to do the great transgression. And what are presumptuous sins? Well, I've heard this taught on, and I have passed this on and even taught this to you in a way that it actually is not even saying at all. And so I'm here to correct that for us today. I always thought presumptuous sins are sins that you didn't know you were committing. That seemed to be with the train of thought. Like I learned the word and then I discover, hey, wait a minute, I'm, there are things I'm doing that are, that are wrong and now the word of God can correct me. But that's not what presumptuous sins are. Working on my sermon and seeking to understand Psalm 131's meaning, I came to this verse here in Psalm 19 again and so I looked a little deeper. So although we do sin at times, we don't know it and we should seek God's word to flee from sins. That's what I've always kind of thought. But what presumptuous sins actually are, it's intentionally presuming upon God that he will forgive you and you're going to go ahead and do it. Now, I think you know what I'm talking about. We do this with people, too. These are actually the most egregious things that we can do. We're like, well, you know, I was telling Tim earlier, I'm like, Tim, just because we're friends and we're close and I'm like, you know what? I know I can do this thing to you and you're not going to hate me and you're not going to, you know, you, what, you're going to, you're, you, I presume on our friendship and I sin against you. Is that, is that something good? That's bad. And we do this with God. These kinds of sin are indeed great transgressions. In fact, the Bible says that when we sin willingly, that, there, that there, this is a whole different kind of a thing. It's kind of like, you know how when they go to trial for murder, there is the you know, premeditated murder that you get like the death penalty for, and then you get these other kind of crimes, right? You know, in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, whatever, but when it is a planned and calculated thing, when we know that we're doing wrong and it takes planning and thought and your conscience is pricked and you just keep going and going and going, that's what a presumptuous sin is. These kinds of sin are indeed great transgressions. Saul committed these kinds of sins and it is what caused his removal and ultimately his violent death and the death of his children. Paul taught the early church that it is a sin to do something that we even believe is wrong, even if it's not wrong. If you believe it's wrong and you do it anyway, it is a sin. That which is not of faith is of sin. Willingly and knowingly going against God's word is the worst thing that we can do. And Paul says, 
where David says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You see, David was praying that God would not just make his actions pure, but his motives as well. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what I'm thinking about, my motives behind why I do what I do. Psalm 27, David says this, one thing, everybody say, one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Can you say that about yourself? One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He says, I will offer his tabernacle sacrifices to joy. I will sing, yea, praises to the Lord. When you said, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not your face from me, put not thy servant away in anger, for thou hast been my help. Leave me not, O Lord. Don't forsake me, the God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, David encourages us. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait. What's it mean to wait? What it means to wait is that we don't just go ahead and do what we want to go ahead and do. That we wait on God before we do it. Why? Because we want to know what God wants us to do. That's what walking in the Spirit is all about. Anybody can follow a list of rules and, and, and try to, you know, appear that they're doing well with them, right? The, the, the Pharisees that we, you heard about in Matthew chapter 23, they're tithing of... They're, they're, you know, they got mint that grows this big in, in, the, in their windowsill and they're, you know, weighing it out and dividing it and, and giving a tenth of that. They're taking it with a little pinch and dropping it down, down there at the temple. Anybody can do that kind of thing. He said, but what you are is you're like a wided, beautiful sepulcher, but inside, inside where? Where your heart is, you're full of what? Dead men's bones. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord as you go, you know what? I don't know what to do. I don't know what I should do. I have no idea. So you know what? Don't do anything and wait on God until he leads you. You might go, well, I don't know that God does that today. I'm telling you, he absolutely does. He leads, he guides, he speaks. He has always done this with his people. It is from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and it still goes on today. Psalm 51, David said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, what you desire, God, is truth in my inward parts and in the hidden parts. He's saying, you're not just wanting me to tell the truth, you're wanting me to believe it. You're wanting it to be my, my passion, right? It, didn't God say, you know what? You do all of these things and it appears that you love me, but in your heart, you are what? You are far from me. God doesn't care about all the things that we think he cares about. David wanted his motives as well as his actions to be pure. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me what? A clean, a clean heart. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
In Psalm 139, which was our call to worship today, David says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. As we come to Psalm 131, that's what the heart of this entire psalm is about, this little tiny mini song. It is the 12th Psalm of the Psalms of Ascent, And it is written, as we see in the inspired heading by David, as one of the 75 Psalms that he wrote that are, that have his name on them. He may have written more because in the New Testament, it will say David says, and it refers to some of the other Psalms. This was written according to John Calvin to encourage Israel to follow David as he followed God. His leadership of the nation was not from his wisdom, his devotion to the praise of Jehovah, his experience, but it was from his heart of hearts that longed to obey the voice of God. That's what he's trying to make clear to Israel. Follow me because I'm just following God. Not because I'm smart, not because I'm experienced, not because I'm brave, not because I'm a great musician, not because I'm a wonderful songwriter, not because I'm a great architect, but follow me because I am following after God. In verse 1, it begins, Lord, my heart. Everybody say, my heart. See, this is what the core of the psalm is about, is about getting our hearts right with God. Nobody can see your heart but God. So nobody can be impressed by it. Nobody can look in and say, oh, Josh, what a beautiful heart you have. Only God can see that. It is hidden. That's why God talks a lot about what we do that doesn't have anything to do with people. What was the problem with the Pharisees? When they gave, they gave to be seen of men. They played their trumpets. They did their thing. They liked to sit in the nice seats. They liked to wear the beautiful clothing that denoted their righteous living. They liked all of that. He didn't say that it's wrong to wear nice clothes. He said it's wrong to fool people and have a dark heart while you got nice clothes, to be a a sinner, to be a twofold child of hell that looks like, like you're not. Lord, my heart is not haughty. That means proud. My eyes are not lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Imagine the man writing this who killed Goliath, who uh, went to the battle uh, against the Philistines and the Amalekites and every one of these guys and he's killing them and he's leading Israel and he's writing songs and God is preserving him in uh, the desert uh, away from Saul and God is uh, saving his life. But he's like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not really involved in anything important. He's the king of Israel. He's, you know, he's the man. He's living in a palace in Jerusalem, which they had conquered the city. He has a kingdom. He has millions of people in it. They follow him. God has told him that his kingdom is going to be established forever. And what does he say? My heart's not proud and my eyes aren't lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Can you see the disparity in this 
picture. I'm not great. Yeah, he's the king of Israel. He's mighty. He's brave. You know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands, right? He's writing the songs that Israel is gathering to sing. And as they're singing the songs, Brother Chris, they're singing the songs and David's like, I wrote that. I mean, it feels good for me when we say our profession and I wrote it. You know, I'm reading these things. I wrote this profession and, and we're like, you know, I can and I will by the power of God. I'm like, I'm like, people are saying something that I wrote and they're believing it. This is, this is exciting. I like that. David's got like, Millions of people singing the songs that he wrote. David wanted a heart that was right with God, even if he failed to live up to his own hopes. I really believe that the disparity of his life, that the sinfulness of his life was a big part of it for us. Because what God says is no matter what you see in David's life, his adultery, his murder, his numbering of Israel, his failure of God over and over. No matter what you see, I see something you can't see. That's what God says. It seems to matter more than we might think. And we look on the outward, but God looks on the heart. That's not to say we ought to just live any way we want and do anything we want. But what I'm saying is, is that God knows who's right and righteous and we do not. On the outside, even to yourself, you seem far from God. And yet you know burning within your breast is a heart that beats with hope to please the Lord. Our righteousness will never be enough. It's that new heart given to us as a gift from God that is proof of the Spirit's work. How many of you can testify that you even remind yourself of that, 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 that time where David says, you know, or where Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I, I, I really can't do them. And, and the things that I say I'm not going to do, I end up doing them. How many of you can raise your hand and say, that is me? Well, that was the Apostle Paul. That was King David as well. Now, Paul said, where sin abound, grace abounded more. So we, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? Everybody say, God forbid. But what I'm telling you is this, when the Bible tells us when our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart. But how many of you know that no matter what you do, no matter how far away you get from God, no matter how, whatever happens, it seems that God is always reminding you, do you know what? You're my son. You're my daughter. You belong to me. I love you. And you're like, you know, I can't really stay away from the church. I can't stay away from the people of God. Like even as bad as I am and as messed up as I am and as worthless as I am, I, this is just where I want to be. Luke 11, Jesus was making this plain. As he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and he sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that Jesus had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. You fools, do not he that made that which is without make that which is within also, but rather give alms of such things as you have, and behold, all things are clean to you. 
But woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe of men and rue and all manner of herbs and pass judgment. You pass over judgment and the love of God. Woe to you Pharisees, you blind guides. What is he saying? Outwardly you appear righteous to men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And you know, my message today isn't for the hypocrite. I don't know that we have hypocrites here like that. My message is for the man who, or woman, who sees themselves as a sinner, but whose heart burns to please the Lord. You know, that's what God sees. You see, David had the opportunity to kill Saul after he was anointed. But what did he do, Sister Joy? Two times God delivered him into his hand. But what did he do? He's like, I am not going to kill or touch God's anointed. Now, could he have? He's been anointed king. God's told him he's going to be king. Why didn't he just get it over with? Because what's he doing? Hey, God made Saul king. And guess who's going to make him not king? God. He's at Ziklag in 1 Samuel chapter 30. His wives and his children are all taken away. The people are going to stone him. And what does he do? He gets mad. and No, no, you know what he does? He immediately goes and he says, let's ask God what to do. I mean, guys, if you have 600 mighty men, men that have killed, you know, one, one of David's mighty men killed 600 men by himself with an ox goad. He's got 600 mighty men that were valiant, strong men. And these men are like, I think we're going to have to kill David right now. So in the middle of all these guys wanting to kill David, and they're all grieving over their sons and their daughters and their wives being taken away, what does David do? Does he run for his life? Does he quit? You know what he does? It says, and David inquires of the Lord. And you know what God tells him to do, Sister Joy? Pursue. And what does David do? Everybody say, he pursues. You might go, that's, you know, that's not such a big, yeah, that is, that's a big deal. You see, David wasn't trying to think of a good idea. He did go, oh, and he rallied a great speech and he told them all that was going to be great. No, he said, you know what, guys, this is terrible. I screwed up. Here we are running around doing all this stuff. And now we've lost our wives and children. We're all grieving. You know what? I don't really know what to do, but God says to pursue. So that's what I'm going to do. You can all kill me if you want to, but that's what I'm going to do. God says, we're going to get our children and our wives back. And you know what happened, guys? He got our children. They got them back. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he prays and prays. Oh, Lord, don't let my baby die. But guess what? It's kind of like Jesus wrestling in the garden. But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And he says, you know what? He can't come to me, but I can go to him. And one day he's hoping to go. This is a man who's pursuing God. They moved the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel. David's excited. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant and get it where it needs to go. Let's bring it in. My son's going to build this beautiful temple and we're going to have the Ark of the Covenant. And they go to move it. And as the ox stumbles... The boy reaches out and he touches the ark to steady it and God kills him. And what does David do? He stops everything. He says, we ain't doing nothing until we find out what? What God says to do. 
If you miss this part of his life, you miss what it is that David was that made him a man after God's own heart. He's like, he, he could have thrown a fit. I can't believe it. Here we are doing this good thing for you, Lord. And you go and kill uh, this boy when all we're trying to do is get it back in Israel. We didn't steal it. It was them evil Philistines. And, but why didn't you kill them? And I mean, he, no, you know, hey, we did something wrong and we need to make it right. And we're not moving this thing. We're not doing anything until we find out what God has said. And then what does he do, guys? He does it. And the last story of David's life that I will refer to here is when David numbers Israel. God had told them, he said, you know what? He said, when you serve me, it's better off if you don't know how many people that are in your kingdom. Because when you know how many people and how many horses and how many whatever you got, you're going to feel you know, pretty strong and pretty confident. So don't count them. Trust me. But the Bible says in First Chronicles 21 that David was tempted by the devil to count how many people he had in Israel. And guess what he did? He did it. And in fact, he had he had his friends around him who knew God had said not to do it. And they're like, we shouldn't do this. God is not going to be happy about this. And in fact, they don't actually count them all. They count a lot of them. But at a certain point, they're like, we're done doing this because God is going to be really mad about this and this is not going to be good. And guess what happens, guys? But, this le- but how the story ends is what's amazing. So, so is David beyond numbering Israel, committing adultery, committing murder, lying, stealing? Whatever? Is he above any of that? He's not. Here he is. Now he's done wrong. And God comes to him and God says, yeah, you've done wrong and you're in some serious trouble. And he gives him three choices. Do you guys remember this? He goes, I'm going to give you three choices. We are going to, I'm going to put a famine on the land for three years and and people are going to starve and it's going to be really bad. Or I'm going to let your enemies kill as many of you as they can kill, like in three months time. Or, I mean, can you imagine God talking to you like this, Jonathan? Or, I'm going to, I want the sword of the Lord is going to come against Israel. Now, I'm telling you, the scariest thing to me would be the sword of the Lord. I'd be like, we might be able to whoop our enemies. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, We could go find somewhere we could buy some food. But you know what David chooses? What is amazing to me? David chooses, Lord... You are good and you're merciful. And if I'm going to be, I don't want to be smitten by my enemies. I want to be smitten by you. Folks, I'm telling you, if this is what makes David a man after God's own heart. Lord, I don't want my enemies to smite me. you're, You're tougher than my enemies. But you're more merciful. And if I'm, if we're going to get killed, I'd rather be killed by you, Lord. I mean, this is a man who loves God. Amazing part of the story is, is this angel's there and he's in this threshing floor of Ornan and the angel's just holding this sword out. He, he apparently has, he's an angel with a sword and a sheath for the sword. And he's holding the sword out and as he's holding the sword out, 70,000 people in Israel are dying of a plague that's coming out of this sword. Sounds like a science fiction movie. And he's asking God, he's like, oh God, please, it's enough. Please stop it, Lord. Please, please. 
And God tells him to go and he goes down and he, he goes where this angel is and he wants to build an altar to the Lord. And you go, in the middle of this, 70,000 people are dying and angels got the sword out. People are dying and David starts quibbling over whether he is going to be given the threshing floor for free or he's going to buy it. And you know what David does? He says, I'm buying it. I don't give God anything I don't pay for. Everybody say, whoa. Guys, I'm telling you right now, David had a heart after God. He's like, I'm going to offer God something. It's going to be something that cost me something. I'm not giving him something that didn't cost me something. This is what David prayed for. He wanted a heart like that. Lord, my heart is not haughty. My eyes are not lofty. I don't exercise myself in great matters or in things that are too high for me. What I do is unto you, Lord. I will not lean upon my own understanding. I will not live under the watch of my own criticism. But I will take you at your word and I will marvel at your love. I will marvel, Lord, at your glorious grace. And when my heart condemns me, I will know, Lord, you are greater than my heart. When we come to verse 2, he says, Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. David learned how to quiet himself and wait on the Lord. You know, that is a big part of the life of a Christian believer. It is not to go around telling everybody how to do everything, how to raise children, how to have marriages, how to be the best about it. No, you know what? We quiet ourselves before, you know what? We're not too smart. We don't know too much. We don't know. All we know is that we love God and we want to follow God. We don't know if we're doing it better than anybody else. We don't know if we're smarter than anybody else. We don't know if we're more righteous. In fact, I'm pretty sure we're not. But you know what we do? We love God and we want to follow God. And if you want to come and be a part of us and what we're doing, we're just trying to figure out how to follow God. I'm telling you, the heart of the church has become a heart of pride, of a self-improvement, of come here, we'll show you how to really live. And that is not what the church is. It is a place where people come and we say, we don't know how to live. We couldn't change our own heart. We didn't seek after God. He sought after us. He's merciful to us and he's kind. And if we do anything that looks righteous, I'm going to just let you know right now that if you saw my heart, the way God sees it, you'd find out I'm not any more righteous than you are. Oh God, let that be our heart today. Let it be where we live. David was not going to live into the sight of his own circumstances or the sight of his own sinfulness. I, I think I would have quit a long time ago if I were David. I mean, I would have just been like, you know what, Lord, I'm done. I, 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 I'm so pitiful and so messed up and so screwed up. I can't, I can't do these things that you say I'm going to do. But David figured out how not to even be too depressed about how bad off he was. I don't know how he did it. God had promised to establish his throne forever and we know that he kept his promise with Jesus himself being called a son of David. <laughs> Not only is he the son of God, he's the son of David. Beloved, as John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, now are we the sons of God. 
and things do not appear as they will appear one day. But because of God, believe it or not, one day you and I, sinners though we were born, will shine eternal as the sons of God as we stand before him in glorified bodies, free from sin and sickness and sadness. That's going to happen. And God isn't looking at you and he's not going to weigh out the bad and the good and, and figure out if you get to make it to heaven as a result of it. That's been over and he weighs the righteousness of Christ on your behalf. This reality should change how we live, how we talk, what we do with the time God has given us. It should call us to walk in the spirit and not be trying to figure it all out. In the flesh. The very last verse of this little short song is let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. Do you know what David's nickname was? The hope of Israel. That's what they called him. And you know how David ends it? He says, let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. It would have been easy to listen to them singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. It would have been easy for David to go, look at me, I'm the king, my throne will be established forever and God has said it so. I am the great representative of God. He could have said all of that, but you know what he says? Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and evermore. He knew he was not the hope of Israel as many had called him, but like the apostle Paul would say in the church age to come, David could say to Israel, Follow me as I follow my Savior. This is what it means to take baby steps, steps that wait on God's direction, a life that waits on the Lord and renews its strength from the Spirit, saying, I don't know what to go, where to go, I don't know what to do, but God is holding my hands, He is leading me, and, I, and when I don't know what to do, I'm going to wait until I find out from Him before I take another step. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for taking our hands, for leading us, for giving us new hearts, for washing us, for giving us the burning desire to follow you that David had. Lord, we do not exercise ourselves in great matters that are too high for us. We are not proud but we are proud of you and we believe in you and our confidence and our hope is in you today. And because of that, we know that one day we will be as you are when we see you as you are. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.